Hey, welcome to the podcast, The City's Backyard, the very first episode of 2022. Hopefully uh, we have a better year than last year, and I think things will get better as, uh, you know, this new variant uh, fades away. But I wanted to, you know, go back from some earlier shows, and basically what I did was I took previous interviews and cut them down. So I've edited these to make them a lot shorter than they originally were. But if you ever want to hear the full episode of each of these iconic drummers, certainly just click all episodes and go back and you'll you'll find the full interviews. But uh, on the podcast today, it's the best of Drummers 2021. So we're going to hear from Carmine Apice, Corky Lang, Joe Vitale, Vinny Apice, who is Carmine's brother, and uh, Roger Earl from Foghat. And you might wonder why I'm also featuring award Academy Award-winning engineer Bill Schnee, who mixed Ringo Starr's photograph. Well, I mean, he has some great stories about working with Ringo on the song Photograph, and he was, he was on the show earlier in the year promoting his new book, uh, Chairman at the Board. So I figured, you know, with, with the Get Back documentary, it would be great to feature bill uh sort of you know as as a button on the whole podcast or to wrap it up with such a great drummer like ringo Starr. and you know like i said especially after uh seeing get back i figured you know ringo's a drummer and uh i couldn't get ringo so the next best thing was was ringo's mixing engineer (laughs) from you know back in the day when ringo split from the beatles which you know, if you saw the documentary, it's uh, it's all about them playing on the rooftop and then basically going their own ways. So, uh, Carmine Apice, he's played with Rod Stewart. He was in Cactus. He's in Vanilla Fudge, which is actually uh, still together. And uh, he's played with Ozzy Osbourne. His brother Vinny was in Dio, and he's played with Rick Derringer. And, you know, I'll tell you all about it uh you know, in the interviews themselves, you'll get more info on each of the guys. Corky Lang, great guy from the group Mountain and Mississippi Queen fame. All these guys are just fantastic. Joe Vitale from the Midwest, Joe Walsh's drummer. He's played with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. He's played with the Eagles. Um, and, of course, Roger Earl from Foghat, who still is touring all these years later. 50 years Foghat has been together. So... What I'll do is um, I'll feature you know five to ten minutes from each each uh, classic rock drummer, and then of course you know finish it out with, with Bill Schnee talking about Ringo and uh, his experience working with him. So you'll hear from each drummer. Uh, we'll take a quick break between each segment, very quick break, and uh, and then we'll get right back to to the podcast. So uh, that is all coming up. The best of drummers 2021 on the City's Backyard podcast. Stay right there. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, Connecticut, Sugar Hollow is a new music venue located in Danbury on the border of Ridgefield right on Route 7. Founded by local musicians, Sugar Hollow's mission is to bring quality live music to Fairfield County in a venue musicians and music fans alike will love. For more info, log on to SugarHollowTapRoom.com or on social media at SugarHollowTapRoom. We are in the backyard of Greenport, Long Island, 
with a legendary drummer. His name is Corky Lang from the classic rock group Mountain. Corky has a book out. It's called Letters to Sarah, which is his mother's name. I want to talk a little bit about you know, the fact that you were so young and it is honorable that you wrote your mother uh, when you were on the road at about 20, 21 years old. Also, what I want to just touch on, because I want to go to the Mississippi Queen song and, and how you came up with that at, at, when you were in Nantucket. It's a great story of the hot Mississippi girl that was sweating. You tell yeah. the story. OK, I've said it a few times, but people seem to like it. What <laughs> happened in Nantucket? Uh, it was a beach club, a really funky beach club. You know, it smelled like hell, sawdust, peanuts and everything all over the ground. A buddy of mine, Roy Bailey, a great artist. Uh, he, you know, we hung out and he says, by the way, Corky, I got this this girl coming up from Mississippi. She's beautiful. I, her name was Molly. And I said, cool, cool. So fast forward that evening. It's a very hot August evening in Nantucket. And in those days, they didn't really have air conditioning in Nantucket. You didn't need it. You had the beach, you know, the beautiful wind blowing off the coast. And but the few uh, air conditioners that were being used blew out blew out the, the the resistor, I guess, the town supplier. And at the time, you know, I was playing in a band. We had an organ, a bass player, and myself. And again, this was a hot weekend. It was like 150 degrees. And there's my buddy, Roy Bailey, and this beautiful girl who was, who was wearing a knitted see-through dress. And she was, she was absolutely beautiful. And bingo, the light goes out on the whole, the light, the electricity on the island blows out the whole island in Nantucket. And as a result, in the club, there was one emergency light that shone on the dance floor. And there I am playing and I'm playing up on Cripple Creek. She sends me a fast spring. And this is the beat, right? You know, I'm playing that. You're, you're covering the band, covering the band and the lights go out. And that, but I didn't want her to stop dancing. She's dancing in front of me and I'm looking at her. And I think I took a couple of um, I guess I used to call them um, positive pills to make you feel very <laughs> positive. And I and I'm I'm you know, I'm rolling, playing and all, you know, the organ goes out, the bass goes out and I'm playing up, you know, up on, and I'm saying, God, don't go, don't stop dancing. I was really into it. I was transfixed to her and her body, and she was perspired. Oh, it was very hot. And I'm looking at her, and out of nowhere, I had no microphone. I had to scream at, hey, Mississippi. And I'm playing, you know, hey, hey, Mississippi. And she looked at me, and I go, hey, Mississippi. You know what I mean? I'm screaming this out, right? And everybody stays dancing, including herself. So Molly's there showing just doing it up and i'm trying to pick her up that's how that's how far gone i was <laughs> and I'm looking and she's looking at me and i'm thinking hey maybe i can get lucky you know who knows and <laughs> sure enough i didn't get lucky roy took her back to his place he got lucky but i saved the lyrics for that because i remember people dancing and as a drummer, I was just drums. It was just it was just a beat. And I went to the cowbell. You always go to the cowbell when you want to imply dance. Right. You got to keep that cowbell. And then yeah. as a result, uh, again, 
I think the band, the band was called Energy, and we got fired because the owner says, you got to start playing cover songs. My, my buddy Roy got lucky, and I kept the lyrics, and we went back to New York to, you know, we had to go back and find some work because I had a, you know, when you cross the border from Canada to U.S., yet you get permits, and the permit runs out. So we wanted to make sure we got as much work in New York as we could, during the permit time. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sitting there in this hot loft in New York city after we get fired from Nantucket. And I remember that I'd written out some lyrics for Mississippi queen. And I remember telling the guys in the band, the other two, Hey, can you help me out here? I need some help. I think this is, and they're looking at me going, Corky, we don't even have a record deal. What are you writing? I said, I don't know. It just feels right. It's got a nice feel to it. And I needed I needed some rhyme in Mississippi. I needed a place, you know, a city that I can refer to in the song way down around. I couldn't put New Orleans. Uh, I couldn't put uh, Little Rock. It had to be two syllables. I needed it. And I, I said to the guys, you got to help me. I just need a city with two syllables in Mississippi. And a buddy of mine who I was staying with, David Ray, I hope you're taking notes, said <laughs> to me, I remember going, I said, David, you know, and he said to me, Quark. There's a place called Vittsburg. And I went, Vittsburg? There's a place called Vittsburg? And I immediately put it in the song. And anybody out there that knows about writing, it's all about phrasing and punctuating certain things. And Vittsburg is a very percussive word, Vittsburg. So it fits right in, way down around Vittsburg, around Louisiana. So it worked in terms of a rhyme. So I had this lyric. All right. This lyric I kept and I put in my back pocket being fast forward to September of 69. Uh, Felix and Leslie are putting mountain together. And I they said and I they asked me, do you think I can handle it? Boy, I said, yes, sir. I certainly can. Anyway, so there I am with Leslie in his, his apartment. He actually moved to Park Avenue from Queens because his first record was doing really well. You know, Leslie West Mountain. Any case, I'm, I'm rambling a bit. Stay with me. Um, <laughs> uh, what happened as I go to and we're sitting in his apartment. Hey, Clark, uh, you got any lyrics? Because Leslie has some great feels, you know, licks and all that. I need a lyric. So seriously, I pull out this paper that I saved with Mississippi Queen. It's a lyric. The whole lyric is right there. You know what I mean about it way down. So I wrote and I handed it to Leslie. I put it on the table within a New York minute. He has got the lick and he has the vocal and he right there, just like with it, like we wrote it in a limousine. It was right there. The song was pretty much finished. It just needed Leslie's beautiful, rustic voice along with his brilliant guitar work. And the lyric was right there. So that is the story of the beginning. We brought it to the studio and Felix says, yeah, this is great. Great, great. So we record, we take, we do a rough track, put it down. And Felix says, no, no, we can get this better. And at the time, you know, I got the cow, I got, I'm just, we're just jamming. We're jamming on it. Anyways, as it turned out, we did 14 takes, right? And the one we used was the first take. Which well, is of course what happens all the time. Yeah. I'm glad to say I get around and one of the people I get around to is you. And it's, it's a pleasure. It's my pleasure is what I'm saying. There you go, man. That's it. Don't that was beautiful. <laughs> I think that's a good segue out of the podcast, actually. Absolutely. 
Did you hear it? The Reading Beer Company is open. Check out a variety of all the usual suspects of independent craft beer, from the American Wheat Ale and East Coast IPA to great specials like Connecticut Porter and Reading Ole Ale. Order online at ReadingBeer.com. At Reading Beer Company, their mission is to make exceptional classic and historic beer and ales. The Reading Beer Company, 7 Main Street, Reading. We are in the backyard right now with uh, a, a great drummer, Vinny Apice, and Vinny is going to be playing in this show called Drum Wars. We're in Orange, Connecticut right now in a church, and Vinny, you know, it's kind of ironic that you're playing in a church because you're, you're like this heavy metal, hard rock drummer. Isn't that kind of strange? <laughs> uh, well, what's funny is the first, uh, the first gig I ever played with my band in Brooklyn was in a church dance. So I played at the church. Oh, so this is That was like in 1970. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and how old were you about then? Uh, about 12. Wow. So, so going back to your childhood, uh, you started drum lessons at the age of nine. Ten. And you, oh, ten. Okay. I actually started playing a bit before that. You know, Carmine was playing already. He left some drums in the house. And then he... he came home and he heard me play he told my parents he's pretty good she sent him for lessons the same guy that he went to lessons his name was Dick Bennett in Brooklyn and uh, so I started that at 10, 10 years old you know we have something in common you have an older brother and I have an older brother so so your your older brother is about 11 years older than you right uh, almost you know a decade and my brother is about 7 years older oh, yeah. so you know he 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 knew you know more about rock and roll than I did growing up because he was always reading the Cream magazines back oh, yeah. then. You know, so uh, uh-huh. you know, it, it, do you guys get along for the most part? I mean, nah. do do you think that um, years after playing in all these different bands, both of you, you realize sometimes it's easier to just deal with family than than other bandmates? Um, well, we always got along. There was never uh, any big competition. <clears throat> And then uh, when we started doing this thing, this show together, it actually brought us together more because we're hanging out more, you know, we're touring. When we get dates, we tour together, and it's, and it's a lot of fun, so we get along. If we didn't get along, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be so great. A, a fun thing, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting because you guys are in the, the music biz, uh, both being drummers and, and my radio, my brother and I, you know, were, were in the radio biz because my dad was in advertising. So we ended up in radio. He works for Pandora. I've, I've you know, have been a DJ, rock and roll DJ most of my career and now doing podcasting and voice acting and all that. Yeah. I, I want to mention for the people that don't really know who you are, you played in the band Black Sabbath. You played with Rick Derringer and of course a Dio and one of my experiences that I just got to tell you quickly is one of my first gigs DJing mobile DJing not on the radio where my brother taught me how to DJ was at Rye Playland Ice Casino I was about 16 years old 
this is in the eighties, of course, because you're in Dio, and the and my brother's teaching what me. What was the name of the venue? Uh, it was it was it was an ice skating rink. It was called Rye Playland in Rye, New York. Uh, uh, it was an amusement park that had uh, you know Friday night skating with the disco ball. Right. And I'm DJing up there, and my uh, brother can't DJ, so he's going to get me to fill in and DJ, and he's teaching me the ropes. And we're upstairs overlooking the ice rink, and this this rocker chick comes up. She's probably my age, 16. I think I'm about 16 because I was driving, right, so I could drive myself home. And her first request is Dio. And that was the first rock and roll. That was the first, you know, 45 request I ever got as far as, like, being a mobile DJ in my career. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Good so, choice. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, brothers and, and being competitive or not competitive, you sort of have one, one up on your brother playing with John Lennon. That's pretty, pretty yeah. huge. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, you know, playing with John Lennon. Uh, well, my band at the time, it was a nine-piece band. We had four horn players, uh, and we were managed by Record Plant Studios in New York City. And that's where John recorded and our friend was Jimmy Iveen who brought us in and and uh, did some demos with us and that led to us being signed to Record Plant Studios as a management company and they gave us a room to rehearse all the time it was our room all you know on the 10th floor all our stuff was there all our gear go there anytime you want and we'd rehearse and then one night Jimmy called us and said come down we need hand claps Oh, okay. We go downstairs, and we go in the studio, and we see John Lennon, and we go, oh, yeah, look at that. Look, look who this is for. So he freaked out. And then he, we go in the room, we put headphones on, <clears throat> and then he starts talking to us. So that's pretty personal when you hear him in the headphones. Absolutely. You know. And then he explained what he was after on the hand. We just did hand claps on the song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And that's how we met him. Okay. And then we hung out with him a little bit. And then uh, Jimmy explained that we were upstairs rehearsing all the time. A couple days later, we're rehearsing, and John walks in, sits on the step. There's like two steps uh, to come down to the floor. And he's watching us, listening to us. And he kept coming around, hanging out with us. It was really cool. We had a pool table in another room. And he'd come up, we'd play pool with him. We just uh, did all this cool, cool stuff with him. And we wound up doing a couple of videos in the studio with him that were released. And then he asked us to do his, uh, this gig at the New York Hilton, where it was a live TV show around the world. It was taped for live TV show, but it was a big black tie affair. So we did it, my band, me and my band. And uh, I found out not long ago that that was his last live appearance. Wow. So it's like, I did his last live appearance. You did his last Holy live shit. appearance. Kid wow. from Brooklyn. Wow. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, so we got to know him pretty that's, well. That's pretty awesome. Uh, not many people can say that. And, and so you played with Black Sabbath and Rick Derringer and, and Dio. Now, let me ask you this. I, I, you got to clear something up for me. So, so your brother played with Ozzy, which everybody knows. But what was yeah. the timing? I mean, I know when you were in Black Sabbath, Ozzy had left. Yeah. But was your was your brother playing with Ozzy at the time while you no. were with Black Sabbath? I was with Black Sabbath. And then uh, when we left, Ronnie and I, to form Dio, 
there bit after that that's when Carmine was playing with Ozzy so and you played with Black Sabbath first first yeah gotcha and then later on um, Carmine played with Ozzy right and but the, but the funny thing was before Black Sabbath I got a call from Sharon Osbourne she said we're putting a we're putting a uh, band together with Ozzy we heard about you we'll fly you to England and go hang out with them and you know see how it goes oh, I'm like 19 years old this point and I asked Tom I said well you know Ozzy is he crazy or should I go do this and he said he's pretty nuts because he was drinking then and partying so it was like wow I don't know if I want to go all the way to England I've never been out of the country really except for Canada yeah in 19 it's kind of so I went well I turned it down because Carmine's recommendation and then years later he winds up playing with Ozzy that's so don't cool. listen to your older brother. <laughs> good point, good point. I try not to. So at uh, all the bands and, and artists, you know, Rick Derringer, Black Sabbath, Dio, uh, what would you say was your favorite time in, in you know, your drumming career so far? Uh, it's, it's hard to say because uh, it, it's uh, each band had its own thing, you know. Derringer was this, my first real professional band, touring band. And then, uh, you know, we were playing clubs, and we opened for Aerosmith on the Rocks tour. So it was great experience on playing those tours. But then Sabbath was a headliner. You know, now I'm in this legendary band. It's like, wow, this is another, you know, bunch of steps up on the ladder, you know. So, right. And then the same thing with Dio. So they were all different experiences. So. Well, Vinny, Apice, it's it's great to have you in the city's backyard. You know, we're, yeah, we're right backyard, out of New man. York, man, and you're a New Yorker. And Well, listen, man, thanks for coming on the podcast with me. And Thank have you. a great show. Yeah. Thanks for everybody uh, who listened and listened to all the music over the years. Thanks a lot. I Thank you. It. Thank you, Vinny. Cool. Need a new roof? Rick's Main Roofing LTD is a family-owned and operated business specializing in all types of residential and commercial roofing and offering 24-hour emergency service. Rick's Main Roofing is GAF Master Elite and Master Select Certified, providing service for Fairfield and Westchester counties. Call today to schedule a free appointment at 203-838-5858. Hey, how about a great sandwich? For lunch or delicious breakfast and cappuccino, this is Sergio. Come and see me at Francesca's Cafe and Grill right here on the Post Road in Norwalk, 249 Westport Avenue. Your friend Sergio here does it all, from Italy to Norwalk to coffee and cannolis. Francesca is truly a piece of Italy right here in the heart of Norwalk. Check out our great menu at francescasdeli.com. We are in the city's backyard right now, backstage in Orange, Connecticut, with Carmine Apice. And we know there's a whole story about, you know, you and your brother pronouncing your names differently. And, and the fans know the deal. Rod Stewart actually yeah, suggested. Boy, you, you know it. Wow. Yeah, man. I did my homework. You I, I know you are That's a good. serious rock star That's here. Good. I'm tired of talking about this thing already. It's been like, not how many years? 40 years? Yeah. Since 1980 when he started with Sabbath? 
40 years ago I listened to yeah. this. So. And, and I saw I'm there was glad a, people know. There was a little YouTube skit that you did where I think you even hired actors to do this skit about pronouncing your names correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah right. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, that's anyway. the one where, well, I was with a couple of chicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, I enjoyed that. But, but you know, you were in Vanilla Fudge, which is really cool because I, I originally was a classic rock DJ. And then, huh. you know, Cactus, Jeff Beck, you played with Jeff Beck. Rod Stewart, I mean, that is huge because when I was a teenager, you know, all those songs were big in the 70s. And, yeah. of course, you played with Ozzy Osbourne. But what I found really interesting about you was that um, your influences are, are the jazz guys. Um, right. You like the jazz drummers, right? Well, that's what I grew up on. I mean, when I grew up, there wasn't rock heroes. Yeah, you grew up. There was Bo Diddley, You Elvis grew up in Presley. the 50s. Yeah, I grew up in the, in the late 50s, you know, as far as listening to music. My first show... My first show was uh, one of those Alan Freed Brooklyn rock and roll shows with Bo Diddley and the Platters and the Cadillacs and the Ronettes. That, yeah. that was my, that, my first rock and roll show. My, but my first album I ever bought was a Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa album. Yeah, and, and you know the, the one thing I can relate to you about is when I got into radio, my very first radio station up at Syracuse University was a jazz station. So right. you know so, that's how I got educated on radio. You got educated on yeah. being a drummer through right. jazz musicians. And, and I was lucky when I got in when I did because the in the sixties, you know, mid sixties, when Vanilla Fudge came out, that started all of a sudden you had. Rock heroes, drum heroes, guitar heroes, vocalists and all that. And it wasn't like that before, you know? Yeah. Well, another thing that's cool is, you know, uh, Phil Collins was influenced by you. Uh, Aerosmith's Joey Kramer. Uh, also, of course, John Bonham, Led Zeppelin uh, fame. And, and even Eric Singer of Kiss, the, you know, after the Peter yeah. Chris days. And you you seem like, you know, you're, you're, you're like... Uh, a real popular drummer in in the music world, the rock and roll world. So what happened with you in your career, from what I perceive, is that you actually missed out on some opportunities because of jealousy from from maybe lead singers and guitarists that didn't want you to you know show them up being being a drummer. Well, as far as maybe maybe is that why you didn't end up in Led Zeppelin after? No, no, no. Or no, they Kiss. Didn't, they didn't do Led Zeppelin after he died. That was it. They wouldn't. They didn't want to do that. They only did that one show with Jason, his son, mm-hmm. and his son, you know, idolized his dad. I remember when it, you know, he was little. I gave him one of my drum books to John to give to his son, you know. But you know, but things for me, they're, they're really, the only one that really was bad was the Aussie one, when Sharon fired me and said, "Your name is too big. You need to start your own band." So I started King Cobra, and that did pretty well. But you know, it's. Um, you know, with Jeff Beck, Jeff was, you know, Jeff is Jeff. You know, he, with, with with Rod Stewart, you Rod Stewart got, was great. You you, know, seven years. You, you had a great run with him, and and yes. and the song uh, "Do You Think I'm Sexy" and Young Turks. Yep. You co-wrote those songs. I co-wrote the songs. And, I, I helped co-produce that album with Young Turks. I, you know, I, but I was able to play my thing and do my drum solo in front of. 20,000 people a night, every night. And you have a good voice on top of it all, right? Uh, Well, I used to have. I'm I'm a little... I got this reflux thing that screws up my voice now. Because, yeah, as you get older, things happen. Rod's taking the same pill I'm taking. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. 
But he sounds better than I do. So um, you also played with uh, Paul Stanley of Kiss, yeah. and you've played with Ted Nugent. Right. And you've got all these awards, the, the Hollywood yeah. Rock Walk. And, and two, in 2013, you were inducted as a classic drummer hall in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. 2014, the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame. And one thing that I also found interesting, you know, I know your brother is into computers on the side. And yeah. I, I find it interesting when musicians have, you know, another interest. And as opposed to just playing in a band and your interest has been uh, something really cool where you were running these drum clinics and you've been sort of a teacher which is cool well yeah but that wasn't really my other my other interest is really real estate oh yeah yeah I, I thought you were going to say women no, no no well that too I was married five times uh, so the first podcast that Corky Lang ever did was with me, which is yeah. cool. And it seems like I'm getting these drummers on the air lately. Well, drummers are more open than, let's say, guitar players. Guitar players are very... Uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, somebody's oh, Vinny, birthday. Oh, Vinny, Vinny just had a birthday. <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> Happy birthday, Vinny! <laughs> You're your own boss now. Um, is it, I mean, at your age, at this point, do you feel like you know this is this is? Are you still going to like do other stuff with other bands, or is this it with your well, brother? You know, I just do stuff that that I'm involved in. You know, like you know, if Rod called me up and said, "Hey, let's go out and do some shows," I would go do shows. I mean, I don't care about who's the boss. When we play with Rod, you know, he was the boss, but it was a band. Uh-huh. We yeah. even had a percentage of the take. You know, we, we were like a band, and, you know, Ozzy was a weird thing. Uh, Ted Nugent was cool. He was a good guy, easy. But, you know, I've always acted the same, and, you know, and I was always asked my opinion to stuff. So it wasn't like I, he's the boss or he's the boss, you know. But, uh, the only one that was like that was Sharon, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, then I had King Cobra, I had Blue Murder, you know, John Sykes was the boss, but that was a band. As far as, yeah. you know, just differ- differentiating yourself uh, from your brother, I think he's more of like a heavy metal, hard rock drummer. From what I kind of gather from the bands he's played in, you know, even Rick Derringer's kind of rocking. Um, you were in this classic rock band, Vanilla Fudge, which, you know, maybe I guess it w- might have been harder yeah, I, rock. I grew up differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he grew up listening to... Buddy Rich, Dean Krupa, but he listened to John Bonham, he listened to Ian Pace, mm-hmm. he listened to those guys, and he listened to Black Sabbath, and not really a lot of Black Sabbath, and then when he played with Sabbath, he met Dio, and then started getting into heavier stuff, where I played an array of stuff, you know, go from Vanilla Fudge to Cactus, totally different, Cactus to BBA, similar, mm-hmm. and BBA to, I had a group called KGB with Mike Bloomfield, totally different again, and and that to Rod Stewart, totally different. And Rod Stewart to Ted Nugent, heavier. <laughs> but I never changed my style Well, for each song. I mean, you look at Hot Legs, my drums are the loudest thing on the track. Well, you are a rock icon for sure. Well, listen, have a great show. Again, okay, thank man. you for the interview. And right, uh, Carmine, a piece, legendary drummer. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Ciao. The Wall Street Tavern in Norwalk is now open with their cool rock and roll decor. For more info, log on to WallStreetTAVFortavern.com. That's WallStreetTAV.com. 102 Wall Street, Norwalk.
Visit Rory's Restaurant, 416 Post Road in Darien. Rory's is where it's always delicious. Try their great selection of mouth-watering appetizers, hot and cold sandwiches, scrumptious entrees, and outrageous soups. Check out their menu at rorys.net or call 203-655-9453 for takeout or curbside pickup. Open seven days. We are in the backyard with Joe Vitale, who is a multi-platinum singer-songwriter. He has uh, worked with many of the the last century's popular rock bands, such as the Eagles and and Joe Walsh. Joe, you have worked with Joe Walsh. You were you were in uh, in this video that uh, that is so impressive. You know, years ago, Don Kirshner's rock concert. You were playing drums on Rocky Mountain Way, and you co-wrote that song and recorded it with Joe Walsh. Correct. Hey, Matt. Hi, Connecticut. Yes, that's correct. And you, you've also been a member of the Eagles and uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash and, and many other rock bands. You, you actually played on this HBO special with Crosby, Stills and Nash years ago. And uh, that was that was a great you know YouTube video that I checked out of you. And Joe, you're, you, did I say it right? It's Canton, Ohio, where you are? Yep. Canton, Ohio. Home, <laughs> whole, uh, uh, football Hall of Fame city. And are you where are you from originally? I'm from here. I'm from Canton. Oh, so you're a Midwestern guy. I'm a Midwestern guy. Boy, there, there was a lot of great rock and roll come out of the Midwest back then. So you, you also recorded with John Lennon on some of his demos uh, for uh, Walls and Bridges. And you also recorded with Ringo Starr and so many others. I mean, it, it really is an honor to have you on the podcast. And uh, Joe, you kind of remind me of, of a Jeff Lynn. You're, you're a musician, yet you're also mixing and producing. Well, that, that's what you get when you live in, in, in out in the country in Ohio and, and there's no other people around to work with. So, uh, so you learn how to do a lot of stuff yourself. And actually, but I love it. I, you know, I, I um, making all the records through my uh, career. I, um, I had, I always asked a lot of questions of the engineers and the producers and they were gracious and, and generous to, to give me answers. And um, uh, I learned a lot from working with these just all-star producers and, and engineers. And um, they taught me a lot and I, I, I carry all that, information with me and um uh that's how i approach all the projects i do but um uh i don't mind doing a lot of stuff i I, i'm not trying to be a jack of all trades i'm just trying to uh you know really get myself involved in in the songs and um uh not only my own but whoever i'm working with and um so it's it's um and some guys are just they just play and that's great and and sometimes i wish that's all i did because yeah, I'm, I'm busy, but um, uh, uh, but you know, to each his own, and um, I chose that road. You know that road. You know, it's funny. You kind of sound like Joe Walsh a little bit, believe it or not. And uh, that's what people say. A lot of yeah. people say that. Uh, yeah, you could tell you guys hung out a lot together. And um, I, I did get to see Joe Walsh warm up for Tom Petty before Tom Petty passed away. You know, on his 40th uh, anniversary. I, I was on that tour. Oh, you were. That's right. Yeah. Where no did you kidding. see us at? Oh, uh, oh, man, this is even cooler than I thought. Right. Um, you I saw you in Florida at the fairgrounds. And oh, yeah. Uh, and I also saw you in Hartford. And I I, I thought that uh, the Florida show was was something special because Tom Petty's from Florida. So, you, right. you know, that, that right. was awesome. 
That was a wonderful tour. It was his 40th anniversary tour. And then sadly, at the end of the tour, he passed away. It, it just, it was, just things like that are, are nightmarish when you think about it. You know, what a oh, tragedy. I know. And I, and I follow Tom Petty's uh, daughter, Adria, and I follow his uh his uh, wife, Dana, who's so kind on, on uh, Instagram. She's always, you know, posting pictures of when they were together. And she always responds to everybody. She's really a cool and lady. Such a big star. It, you know, when every song he played, every person in the audience knew every word. And, and it's funny. They know all the words and we're the ones that use teleprompters. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Joe, I want to ask you, uh, what what song did you co-wrote on Hotel California with the Eagles? I uh, co-wrote uh, Pretty Maids All in a Row. Uh-huh. And uh, the guys just did it beautifully. The vocals are just beautiful. And um, what was really nice was uh, in 94 when they did Hell Freezes Over, they did uh, a live uh, show with uh, that re- is recorded. And they uh, did it uh, with a whole string section. And um, to hear my song with uh, a whole string section and them guys singing the way they do, man, it was just beautiful. It's one thing you, you don't really you can slow a musician down, but you never stop them. So uh, we, we continue to work. And, uh, it, and of course, it's a whole different deal. And, and it's really wonderful to be in the same room together. But it's OK and, and until we can get back to that and we'll do what we do. That's all. Do you miss the, the traveling and the live shows? Terribly. <laughs> I'll tell you what, through this pandemic, which we all hate, <laughs> the Internet has enabled all of us to uh, in, in any walk of life to, you know, even the news guys on TV, they're they're in different cities and it, it's good. It's good technology to have. And, and we'll get to, like I said, we'll get through it. And, and Joe, you know, I, I just have to say before we wrap the interview, um, you know, when I was a kid, I watched I stayed up late to watch uh, Don Kirshner's rock concert. You must have met a lot of women back in the day traveling with all these rock stars as a drummer, right? No, nah, no women backstage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Did, did, did you enjoy your youth of, of you know, just being young and, and on the road? I mean, obviously, you've, you, you were doing it recently, you know, on Tom Petty's tour. But, um, you know, what can I, you say I, about enjoyed, those days? I enjoyed getting out of bed and nothing hurt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that that is so cool. So how would people, you know, find these cool YouTube videos, uh, YouTube videos of you, you know, back in the day with all the the bands like Crosby, Stills and Nash and so forth? And, well, uh, website? I, I've got I've got a couple of things. If 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 uh, I can, I'd love to plug my book. Oh, yeah, that's right. You have a book. I forgot to mention. Go ahead. It's uh, called Backstage Pass. It was written by my wife, Susie, and uh, it's uh, available on my website, which is uh, jovitaleondrums.com. And we uh, if you get them through us, it's a great deal. And we sign them and and we have CDs and all that. But in that book, we do. It's the entire career. It's It's actually my entire life. And of course, yeah, it, it is about me, but it's it's actually about me and all the people I worked with. And there's just hundreds and hundreds of stories and there's over 700 pictures. And um, uh, it's really a fun book. Other than that, as far as all my YouTube stuff, it's, it's easy. Just go to YouTube and usually just type in drummer Joe Vitale and they'll all come up. Are Joe, are you social <laughs> media savvy? Yeah, yeah, I am. 
Very cool. I, I Very mean, cool. you know, you, you kind of be, have to be today. You just are forced to be whether you want to or not. Joe, this has been a blast. Hey, Matt, thanks so much. What a great show. I can't wait for people to hear this. Hey, can't find New York-style pizza in Connecticut? Check out Planet Pizza at 607 Main Avenue, Norwalk. Dave's Planet Pizza has everything from great-tasting salads, calzones, to pasta, to New York-style pizza and more. Plus, great lunch specials. Dave's Planet Pizza of Norwalk. Order now at planetpizzanorwalk.com. It's Matt Zako, and on the line today, we have Roger Earl from Foghat. And Roger, it's a pleasure to speak to you. You're you're kind of a, a legend uh, at this point with Foghat. You've been there from the inception. I don't know. Uh, yeah, legend in his own mind. <laughs> uh, uh, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. Now, you, you are the drummer for people that don't know. Okay, yeah. Correct? I'm the drummer for Foghat. Always have been, always will be. Uh, I love my job. Bang, bang, uh, kick, kick. You know, hey, you know, I get to play drums in a rock and roll band and get paid for that. How cool is that? It's very cool. <laughs> and, and you know what's even cooler is to be able to speak to you because I was just a kid when some of these songs were coming out, such as uh, Driving Wheel and Slow Ride and Fool for the City. But uh, I had an older brother, and he was always bringing home the albums from the latest, coolest bands. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget, Fool for the City was big in the 70s. And right. you're, you're still at it. Now, originally, you guys were called Savoy Brown before yeah, Foghat? Yeah, yeah, in um Seven to uh, the end of 1970, uh, I was in Savoy Brown with Lonesome Dave, our original singer, and then we left and uh, we formed Foghat in 1971. Uh, in 1972, we had our first album out, and uh, it was still rocking. In fact, we're still making records and uh, or CDs, I should say. I still call them albums <laughs> or or MP3s, right? <laughs> MP. No, actually, I don't make MP3s. Other people make MP3s. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you you let them do that for you. Dave Edmonds produced the uh, first album, right? Yeah, Dave Edmonds is the uh, genius. In fact, uh, we well, finished um, about uh, the seven or eight songs that were on the uh, on the first album, and every record company in the world turned us down. Everybody. And then one man, a man called Albert Grossman, who managed. Bob Dylan and the band and uh, Janis Joplin and Peter, Paul and Mary was like starting up a new label and he came to see us and he said, okay, let's do it. And we earned millions of dollars for him. So anybody out there who's getting turned down by record companies and other people, if you enjoy it, just do it and stick with it. Everybody turned us down and then lo and behold, we're still here. Have you, have you played Connecticut before? I'm sure, right? Yeah, no, we played Connecticut many times. In fact, um, I, I live across the Sound on the other side in uh, near Port Jefferson. Oh, yeah, you live in Long Island, huh? Yeah, I'm a Long Islander. You're a Long uh, Island guy. Long yeah, Island. I, I, when I, uh, back in 1972, uh, the boat dropped me off, and uh, that's where I landed. So, so actually, I, I, actually, I love living in New York. It's uh, uh, the island's a great place to live, and New York City, I think, is probably one of the greatest cities in the world. There's always something to do there. Yeah, I'm real fortunate. Um, I'm American deliberately. You have, you have, you've had uh, Foghat has had five gold records. Actually, five gold and I think two multi platinum. Wow. Now, yeah, I know. That's what I say. You, wow. You guys were that band that really, you know, kind of uh, made the electric slide guitar popular, right? Uh, not just us. No, um, you know, we'd have to credit people like Muddy Waters and. Uh, uh, certainly, the uh, Ormond brothers were uh, a great uh, 
influence on a lot, anybody who was playing slide guitar and of course Elmore James uh, if you want to go back even further wow <laughs> Well, you guys are a killer rock and roll band, so we love playing Slow Ride. And, you know, the funny thing is, is back when you you wrote uh, Slow Ride and came out with it, uh, Mm -hmm. did you ever think traffic would be as bad as it is now? I mean, traffic is atrocious everywhere. Everybody has like three cars now, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. Sometimes I go on the 495, which is the Long Island Expressway, and... uh the LA. When I'm going into the city, or if I'm going into one of the airports, and I have somebody else with me, so we can take the take the uh, HOV lane, and it's like, uh, yeah, we sail right on through like six o'clock or five o'clock in the morning, and there's all these folks stuck in cars. But you know, but Foghat was always something of a jam band. We always like uh, we would always stretch stuff out. I mean, slow rides, what ten minutes long. Um, driving wheels like seven or eight now uh, just want to make love to you can either be five or fifteen <laughs> yeah that's cool have fun with this stuff you well know? people love it man we'll get on real well we're a bunch of happy drunks when we drink <laughs> that's great and you, you know the fact of the matter is is you're still playing all these years later we've had um four albums out in the last 10 years so it's not like we're uh, sitting back on our uh Oranges and not doing anything. Right. No, we're going to roll to a old and rock to we drop. I love doing this. Right. And, uh, were you were you as popular in England as you are here in the states? No, uh, we couldn't get arrested in England. Actually, my, all my musical influences uh, uh, were American. You used to listen to, you know, blues and R and B and rock and roll. Um, uh, in fact, most English bands were, were like that. America is where like you know contemporary music comes from. Um, we owe a great debt to, uh, you know, like the early Delta blues artists. Because, I mean, that was like the basis for just about every form of like, uh, you know, contemporary rock and roll and music. I mean, that's where it comes from. So uh, now this is where it was built. Um, you know, people in Japan, China, Russia, France, Belgium, they all love American rock and roll and American blues. So and jazz, too. Well, there's one thing that I know. There's certain bands that just get better with time. You know, like a, like a fine wine. It just uh, or a tastes mo- better. Or a moldy, or a moldy cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure you guys kick some major butt when you play those tunes. Roger Earl, the drummer of the band Foghat. It was a pleasure to speak to you, man. And, and like I said, I've been listening to your tunes since I was a little kid. I know you've got some uh, years of experience. I just want to say I appreciate interviewing you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to meeting you, Dad. Thank you. From hot to cold, breakfast to lunch, JV's Deli has something for everyone. Having a family get-together or need to feed the working crew, JV specializes in thin crust pizza, deli sandwiches, pasta, and more. 15 Tyranny Street, up the road from City Hall. Check out their great menu at jvsdeliandpizza.com. We are in the backyard of the Nashville, Tennessee area with a guy that uh, has some impressive credentials. His name is Bill Schnee. He is an internationally renowned producer, engineer, and mix master, and now an author of a new book. Bill, welcome to the city's backyard. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. So you, uh, you've got this great book that uh, is out. It's called Chairman at the Board, and it's all about you being behind the scenes, mixing, engineering, producing with all these famous musicians. Yep, 
I've had a really incredible, blessed career. I, I, in writing the book, I probably was three quarters of the way through it, and I started marveling at it myself. I was like, wow. So let's talk about the Beatles. So you, you were a big part of Photograph once Ringo Starr started his solo career, correct? Right. The way I've looked at it uh, is that the uh, other three uh, decided to give Ringo a leg up. They knew their solo careers were going to blossom, but let's, let's give Ringo a leg up here, get him, push him off uh, to a good start. So they basically all uh, chipped in and wrote songs and, and played on it. Um, the, the exciting time for me, most exciting time, I should say, because exciting, it's, it's excitement started the day I set up for the first session when I went in the studio by myself and there was flight cases for the drums that said Ringo Starr, the Beatles. And then I walk out and there's a drum set set up and it may not have been the set that Ringo played for a lot of their records in the sixties, but it was still Ringo's drums, but we got started and, uh, uh, George came over a couple of days into it, heard what we had done, and he played a song that he had produced on uh, Ringo called Photograph. But it was kind of, uh, it was, you know, the lyric is sort of sad, obviously. All, all he has is a photograph left of his love. And uh, it was kind of forlorn. And they decided that maybe we should cut it a different way. And so Richard Perry producing that, uh, went for a, a Phil Spector kind of wall of sound approach to it, which, uh, which is what we did with it. Now, you said George Harrison wasn't really that quiet, although he was known as the quiet Beatle. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 you know, he maybe compared to the others. I mean, I'm sure, you know, all the interviews and everything you've seen, but you know, uh, Lennon and McCartney, uh, you know, obviously were big talkers. I mean, they, they did, they held it up, but yeah, he, he wasn't, he, he was not that quiet. He was, yeah, he was great. So John Lennon was kind of, he really didn't even look at you and kind of didn't really give you the time of day compared to the others. Like Paul McCartney yeah, he, was real nice. Yeah. That, that on that, 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 which was the first album, we did two albums with Ringo, Richard and I, the, uh, the, the, he came in, he, he came in on a Monday and, uh, with the song he had written, and it was actually a song he wrote for himself uh, after the Beatles broke up, but he reworked the lyrics to make it fit for Ringo. And it was just so interesting to watch. Now, that was the first and only, by the way, time that three of the Beatles would play together after the breakup. And what's most unfortunate is that Paul had, had uh, a drug bust and was not allowed in the United States for a while. And I'm convinced that if if he could have come over once the three of them were in the room together, I really think there might have been a Beatle reunion because it seemed like the bad blood between he and John was, you know, was pretty much over. And uh, they were all just, uh, you know, the three when we cut the, the Lennon track, they were it was just fabulous to watch um, the closest thing that you would see to how how they would work out a song. It was just marvelous. You describe Ringo's personality as just like this jovial, happy, really nice guy. Right. If, if, if you've ever seen him in an interview, that's him. There's nothing else there. Yeah. Lennon on the first on that, the, the first album, the Ringo album, that was the only song he played on. He, he had a bigger uh, stake in the next record. But uh, and I, I wish I could say I got to know him, but he was he was not 
the most personable, uh, but brilliant, oh, absolutely brilliant. Everything, every time the guy opened his mouth, if it had anything to do with music, it was incredible. It was right on. He'd be you sitting there in the control room and a, a song, a, a track would be playing and he'd be, be uh, sitting on the couch in front of the recording console and you'd hear, he just threw out a background part and we'd, whoop, let's stop, hold on, let's do that right now. <laughs> Go out and put that on. He, he was amazing. So, so Ringo got you some special albums that you thought you weren't going to get. Yeah. You had asked for some, well, some Beatles I, albums. I, I always wanted uh, a copy of the uh, English pressings of the Beatle records. They were made from the original two track tape masters. Whereas then they made a tape copy, which is not as good as the original. And that was sent to, to uh, Capitol in Los Angeles that mastered for the American releases. And the word was the Beatles never thought that the mastering was as good. And we know that it was a generation down. So when we got started, when we went to England, we had to go to England be, to get Paul uh, since he couldn't come to America. He wrote a song. He and Linda wrote a song for Ringo. So we had to go there to record it. And when we got there, I said, Ringo, you know, I really, really do me a huge favor and get me a copy of your, your guys' records. And so the, the last day we were there, we were in the happened to be in the studio that studio two uh vmi where they recorded all their records and he bops in with this stack of records and i was sitting in the back of the control room and he sat down next to me and started flipping through the records and started telling me stories about each one of uh, things he remembered and it was amazing uh, talk about wishing your memories were better and I looked over at him after about 10 minutes and there was a big tear coming down his right eye, down his cheek. Uh, that yeah, was a I, moment. I, I really like that part in the book and, and just this whole segment uh, in, in the book about the Beatles. And uh, speaking of, you know, the memories of, of Ringo going through those albums. I mean, my memory as, as a kid, I was about five years old and I used to buy 45s, uh, yeah. you know, with mom when we go to the local shopping center in Westchester County. And, and uh, I remember getting photograph and it was one of my very first 45s and uh i i had known i guess that it was ringo and another drummer and that george harrison was part of the tune i remember that vaguely now can you clear that up for us were there two drummers on that track was it ringo and another one or did it end up just being ringo yeah so when when uh, richard perry called me and said that he was going to do an album with ringo and wanted me to do it uh, I, of course, I was very excited, and that's you know I, we didn't know when we started that it was going to end up including all the other Beatles. And Richard said, "Yeah, and he wants to record. Uh, he wants Jim Keltner on drums." And I said, "What? Instead of him?" And he said, "No, no, with him. He likes playing with Jim Keltner." And so, sure enough, when we got started, we had uh, two drum sets set up, and uh, I had never recorded two drummers at the same time, but. On photograph, uh, I believe we only used one. It was only Ringo. Yeah, it was interesting because that was kind of like, you know, the, the topic of that song back then was that there were two drummers on it, you know, and, and, and the true fact is it was really just one, right? Yeah. Now, uh, you, you went out to Apple Studios where they had that rooftop concert. Is this where you were doing all this stuff in the Abbey yeah. Road studio, too? This is where, yeah. where all the Ringo recordings were taking place? 
Well, the, the bulk of the Ringo album was done in Los Angeles at Sunset Sound. But when we went to, to uh, England to get Paul's song, we recorded at their studio, the Apple Studios, 3 Savile Row, where, which is the, where the uh, rooftop concert took place. Now, is this, is this where all the engineers had to wear ties and, and were very like lab coats? <laughs> no, that's that's EMI where they did all their recordings, where we were that last day when he brought the records in. Before he got there, I was walking the halls and and, you know, the engineers by then weren't wearing lab coats, but all the technical people were. That is and, so funny. That's like out of yeah. the, the TV shows from then, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so and, and EMI was in London? Yes. Or, Okay, so the, so this is all taking place in London now. Uh, while you're over there, you you get invited to George George's house with with Patty, right? Right. Yeah. We uh, on the weekend uh, he you know he came around. He had come over to to hang out also, and uh, was Paul's song, Paul and Linda's song, and uh, so the on the weekend he said, you know, why don't you guys come out and you know, and uh, Patty will make dinner, and. So that was pretty amazing. It was about 45 minutes out of London. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, it just goes to show you, you know, your career is amazing with all these different artists you've worked with. And, you know, th- thank God for podcasting, Bill, because we were able to have a nice long interview about your book and your career. Chairman at the board, Bill Schnee, thanks for being in the city's backyard. Thank you, Matt. And when is the barbecue getting fired up? <laughs> That puts a wrap on another edition of The City's Backyard, a podcast with Matt the Z-Man Zeko. We'll be back next week with more interesting topics, great guests, and fun conversation about what's happening in and around your community. That's it for now. We'll see you soon.